<clears throat> the Georgia Outdoor News Forum had a question posted to it. What is the weirdest thing you've ever caught while fishing? The responses were wild and ran the gamut. Some people said they caught boots, fishing poles, stringers with fish still on them, a muskrat, a 20-foot extension aluminum ladder, sunglasses, a snake, an orange road cone, a green parachute, a bicycle, an old boat seat, birds, a bat, turtles, a trolling motor, underwear, a mannequin's arms, a mannequin's head, and lawn chairs. One person said they caught a purse and there were, there were four six-inch catfish inside of the purse. That's pretty efficient at fishing, isn't it? I'm looking to catch that kind of purse. One bait, four catfish. Uh, another guy told out a friend of his caught him in the top of the head with a spinnerbait, penetrating pretty deep. I don't know if you know what a spinnerbait is. It's this big lure that has uh, little flashy, colorful things meant to attract fish, and it's, it's kind of big, just hanging out of the top of your head. Imagine that. His friend pulled out a, a bowie knife and said, hold still. <laughs> you know, I, my, my childhood memories come back flooding to me. It was always a bad sign. One of my friends said, hold on, watch this. <laughs> he said, no way, that's not going to happen. You're not getting that bowie knife near my head. So he, lay, he drove home that night with a spinnerbait hanging from his head. He let his dad cut it out. Later that night, his friend called him on the phone to see if he could get his spinnerbait back. <laughs> That's a compassionate friend, isn't it? You never know what you're going to catch when you go fishing. But you probably don't expect to catch any of those things, those weird things I just told you about. Just like in life. You expect, when you go through life, certain things to happen. But we don't always catch what we expect, do we? We go through school and get our degrees, and we expect that we'll have a job and a way to support ourselves, but that doesn't always happen, does it? We expect, in our 20s and our 30s, to have good health. But that doesn't always happen, does it? We expect when a baby is born for only good things to happen and for them to grow into old age, making all the right choices. But that doesn't always happen, does it? You expect perhaps a new iPod for Christmas and you get another sweater. Life doesn't always turn out like we expect, does it? I want to talk to you today about the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Now, I know the book of Ruth pretty well because this is the first book of the Bible that I've read in Hebrew. I learned Hebrew reading through the book of Ruth. I'm telling you, in these short chapters, there is much richness. And I'll tell you that these words tell us about how to respond when we expect one thing to happen in our life and something else comes. These words tell us how to respond when life takes its twists and turns. These words can be life-changing for you. Let's look at them together. First thing I, I tell you that this book tells us, much as I was talking about, that life brings unexpected hardships. Life brings unexpected hardships. As we begin the book of Ruth, 
we see that we will have difficult experiences. Difficult experiences none of us are exempt from. Difficult experiences will happen to each one of us. It begins like this, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, if you were here last week, you remember I told you when the judges, that period, the people would go through this cycle. They would, they would sin, they would be unfaithful to God, they would do bad things to each other, and, and then God would rise up a judge uh, that would help them. And they always, though, unexpected or uh, negative consequences would come as a result of their actions. Then they would repent and God would deliver. So apparently one of the consequences for their sin was a famine. A pretty severe famine came on the land. How do I know it's severe? So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. How do I know it was desperate? Moab was a sworn enemy of the people of God. For Jewish people, Israelite people, to go to Moab meant things were pretty tough. I have a map for you if you see this. Uh, the trip they had to make, it wasn't on a highway like we normally have. This trip you see uh, from Bethlehem to Moab uh, was made longer because they had to go around the Dead Sea. A difficult trip. And the people go there. And they, they have this experience this tough time of facing a way to even supply their needs to take care of their life. Now, this was an agricultural society. If famine came, that was pretty much uh, near, as near to catastrophe as you could see. And so they pick up, their, they're so desperate that they move all the way to a foreign land. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. Maybe because of financial need, You've made a move to a place you didn't really want to go. Or you followed a job to a place where they wanted to transfer you, and it wasn't really your first choice. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had a relationship that is a struggle, and so you have to take steps to, to deal with that struggle, even including ending that relationship. Sometimes those difficult Hardships catch us by surprise. Sometimes they build up and we see them coming. If you've been there, we have good news for you. If you haven't been there, I can tell you, hardships will come. And the question is not, will we avoid them? The question is, what will we do with them? Difficult experiences here. All of us face them, but it gets worse. You see, not only do they have a difficult experience, there's loss and grief here in the story of Elimelech and Naomi, Amalon and Kilion. We read in verses 3 through 5, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. We often read through Scripture quickly. I, I encourage you every time you read a passage of Scripture, don't be in a hurry. I encourage you to, to read it and think about what that means. Now, this is a society in which it's very male-dominated. It's paternalistic. And it was uncommon for a woman to have a job. Remember last week I told you how uncommon it was 
and how amazing it is in the foresight of God, he would uh, actually allow a woman in that time to be made a judge over Israel. Her name was Deborah. God has always been an equal opportunity. God. He always blesses and uses both males and females. But in this culture, uh, for a husband to die, for a woman to become a widow, meant she had no realistic way of supporting herself. But fortunately, Naomi has two sons, younger sons, uh, younger than herself. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Interestingly, uh, the reason, if you read Oprah Winfrey's biography, her parents meant to name her after Orpah, but they got two of the letters crossed up. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. She's in a strange foreign land, and her husband and her younger sons have died. What a bad place grief is. Loss is. Edgar Jackson defines grief like this. Grief is a young widow trying to raise her three children alone. Grief is the man so filled with shock, uncertainty, and confusion that he strikes out at the nearest person. Grief is the silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who is no longer there. Grief is the emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know they're not and never will be again. Grief. It happens when death comes. It happens when a relationship death comes. It happens when a career ends. It happens when financial changes come. Grief, loss. In every life, it will come. The question is, how do we face it? What do we do with it? Today, some of you are grieving, I know, because I've walked with you. Some of you haven't experienced what I'm talking about yet, but it will come. What will you do? What will we do? Her response is very, Naomi's, is very, uh, very understandable. It's very human. She has brokenness and anger toward God. That's what we read in verses 19 through 21. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Remember, it's been a long time since she's moved to Moab, and now she's returned. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I understand where she's coming from. I understand it. I get it. And when tough times come, when our life takes an unexpected twist, when we face loss of people close to us, 
we really have a choice to make. Are we going to take that and use it as a, a tool, as a bashing ram against God? I've visited with folks who were angry and bitter toward God. And I could understand where that came from. Or are we going to see things a different way? Here for Naomi, understand her position. She has lost her husband and her sons. I understand it. I get it. It's a difficult thing to experience these kind of losses. But do we want to stay there? What happens if we stay there? Oftentimes people are angry and bitter toward God. They turn to something else to try to soothe the pain. They, try to, they turn to something else. Maybe it's people that really don't have a, a relationship with God that they become uh, trusted with. Uh, maybe it is that they utilize substances, whether it be alcohol or drugs or other endeavors to try to, heal, to, try to soothe the pain, to try to make it better. Friends, you can make that choice. My encouragement to you would not, would be not to do that. For life can bring redemption and restoration. You see, if you stop right there at the end of chapter 1 in the book of Ruth, it'd be pretty pessimistic. It'd be pretty much a downer. But the rest of the book of Ruth tells an amazing story. The rest of the book of Ruth tells how God is in the business of redemption. If I could give you in one sentence... The theme of the book of Ruth, it is this, that God brings redemption through all facets and experiences in life. God can bring redemption, and he does it in several different ways. We see here first that God redeems through friends and family. Now, I read to you, I skipped ahead a little bit and told you about Naomi's bitterness in her, but understand it said the two women, very very insightful, very striking to me what happened. Ruth is a a woman of Moab. She's grown up around all kinds of people who are hostile toward the God of Israel, hostile toward Naomi's God. And she marries one of the sons, and the son passes away, so she becomes a widow herself. And when Naomi decides she needs to move back to Bethlehem to where her family is, her home is, Those women make a choice. Orpah chooses to stay in Moab. But Ruth decides to go with her mother-in-law. That's an amazing, amazing fact. I can't tell you how, how to explain that other than God was in it. That God moved in Ruth, who's a foreign woman. Moved in Ruth to produce in her a faith and a loyalty, a trustworthiness. To, to stay with, to serve her mother-in-law. This is her decision as recorded in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. 
<clears throat> you find people you can trust. What a blessing from God. When you find people who are faithful, what a blessing from God. Maybe you have that. I hope you do. In your family, blood family. But I, my prayer is that we would become a church followers of Christ, to become brothers and sisters to each other. And when we go through tough times, we would say, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. That we would be counted on and dependable to one another. How amazing it is here that Ruth leaves her home and leaves her family and goes because Naomi has become her family. How amazing it is that that same thing can happen. That when we're in the toughest experiences we ever could imagine, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that God can bring around us friends and family that will stick with us and cry with us and grieve with us and, and work with us to make things better. God is good. Secondly, you see here, God redeems through new beginnings. Now, by necessity, I can't read to you all of Ruth. Oh, it took me so long to read through Ruth in Hebrew. I can't read it all to you. But I want to tell you that they go there, and, and they are dirt poor. They are so poor, if you read in chapter 2, that Ruth, result, she resorts to going out into the field and around the edges of the field, picking up the leftovers of grain to feed herself and her mother-in-law. She, she doesn't have anything. And she goes to the field of a man named Boaz. Now, it turns out that Boaz was a, a distant relative of her father-in-law and her husband. In their culture, it maybe it's hard for you to understand, but, but what happens here is, is Ruth meets Boaz, and, and Ruth, there's a connection. Ruth begins to, to have a relationship uh, with Boaz, and, and Boaz has an an expectation. In their time, in this agricultural paternalistic society, they had a concept called the kinsman redeemer. We don't understand that so much in our world, but this is what it is. In a culture like Israel, God expected family members to take care of relatives. The next of kin, a male, played an important role in Israel as a kinsman redeemer. Since people would be in a situation like Naomi and Ruth, where they had any viable way to support themselves, one of those duties would deal with marriage. If a man died without a son, it was the surviving brother's duty or the closest male relative, a cousin, to marry the widow, in this case Ruth, and raise up a male descendant in order to carry on the dead husband's name and maintain the inherited land of the family. Very important for you to get that because that's what we see happen. That Ruth basically uh, proposes to Boaz. And Boaz accepts. And they are married. And we see that a new beginning involves a birth. In chapter 4 it reads, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian. A redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. 
for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. (laughs) How awesome is God that he would bring about beauty from ashes. That we bring in this life a lesson for the ages, for us. That when bad things happen to us, yes, we grieve. But no, we do not become bitter. Because God works in mysterious ways. Romans 8, 128 says, uh, or 8.28 says, For God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We don't know how that's going to work out. But if we, by faith, continue to be faithful to God, if we, by faith, are continual to, to build and, and grow relationships around us, then God can make beautiful things come from ashes. Here, it's a baby. This week, I had the privilege of, to emcee the annual banquet of New Beginnings Women's Center here in town. I don't know if you know about this work, but it exists to help uh, young ladies who find themselves with an unexpected pregnancy. We're expanding that mission uh, to include other women's services, but, but basically, they are there when somebody is pregnant and doesn't know what to do. Oftentimes, in our culture, is conditioned to or pushed toward abortion. And we saw pictures of babies. Is there any greater sign of God's faithful to us, faithfulness to us that he continues to bring us new life? We have a great trust here with all the babies that God's brought to us. You have a great trust when you have babies and grandbabies. It shows forevermore that God redeems through new beginnings. And this baby had a special role. The son of Ruth and Boaz, his name is Obed. You read about Obed in Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. What you need to understand is God redeems most of all and most importantly through Jesus. Matthew 1, verses 5 through the first part of 6. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, who, 18 generations later, was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate kinsman, redeemer. Randy Frazee writes, as overwhelming a turnaround as this, Ruth finding Boaz, the good news doesn't stop here. There's more going on in the upper story. At the end of the book of Ruth, we're given that genealogy of Boaz's family. We learn that Obed grew up and had a son named Jesse. Jesse grew up to have a son named David. 28 generations later, a little baby named Jesus was born in a stable in the town of Bethlehem. He will redeem this Jesus, all who want his wings of forgiveness to cover them, even outsiders. Maybe you feel like you're unredeemable today. Ruth was a woman who was born in a nation that hated God. Yet God could save her. God could redeem her. So he can you. Jesus came from the family of an outsider named Ruth. It's no mistake that they often identify Ruth in the Old Testament as uh, Moabitess. 
a woman from Moab. God was working above the scenes of Ruth and Naomi's lives in the lives in the lower story to provide them with a son who could redeem the land. God was also working above the scenes of Ruth and Naomi's story to provide them with a son who could redeem the world. God went out of his way to include an outsider, a pagan Moabite in the lineage of Jesus. This is a clue to us that God's salvation will be to us for all people. So, what does that mean to us today? The first thing is this. Maybe you are in that period of difficulty I've been talking about. Maybe you are grieving. Maybe even you've become a little angry and bitter toward God. Can these words speak to you that God loves you and cares for you? And if you will be faithful toward him, he will work his purposes in your life. Maybe today you haven't really begun are committed to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe because you don't feel like you're worthy. Maybe you don't feel like you're forgivable. I assure you of this, that Jesus, our ultimate kinsman redeemer, wants all of us to know him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This Jesus, you can have a relationship with. This Jesus, he can find you in your valleys, in your moments of weakness and pain and loss. This Jesus is here for all who would say, yes, I believe. This Jesus is here for all who would allow their faith to grow. This Jesus will go where you go. He will stay where you stay. Fathers, we think about these things. I thank you for this great story of a faith that can overcome. I pray today, Father, that you're speaking to us wherever we are, whatever situation we're in, and you're bringing the desired outcome to bear in our minds. You're leading us through your Holy Spirit with insight, I pray to conviction. Maybe it is to grow our faith as we go through hard times. Maybe it is to reach out to a friend or family member that we haven't drawn close to who's going through such a time. Maybe it is for us to come and and commit to faith in your son, Jesus. Whatever the case, I pray as you speak to us, we listen. And we respond. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's ministry time.